All right, good morning, church. Uh, we are going to dismiss uh, children, grade two and under. And uh, so let me pray. Uh, God, I thank you for our young people. I thank you, God, for the work that you want to do in them and the work that you are doing in them. Uh, God, we continue to pray uh, protection over our uh, young people in this church. We continue to pray, God, that you would be uh, teaching them and uh, blessing uh, uh, parents. And God, may you be with the shine zone today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I got teachers at the back there. So uh, if any of the young people want to head out, if we have any, maybe we just got the older kids today. Oh, they're back there already. Okay. Awesome. We are going to pray, and uh, it's time when we can gather together as a church to pray together. There is uh, a lot of power when we come together and pray together. Something that the early church did a lot was to gather together and, and pray, and uh, we serve a God who answers prayers, and so if you have uh, prayer requests, you have things upon your heart that uh, you'd like us to lift up together as a church, then uh, we'd love to hear about them so we can pray for them, or just anything that God's done in your life that maybe you want to share with each other this week. Yeah, Marina. I'm trying to get my uh, double worked on this week. Oh, awesome. Okay. okay. And uh, pray for safe travel there and back to Sarah. And that they'll have good health. Okay. And pray for your dental surgery. We will. Yep. Marina, yeah. Kel. Um, I finally started the application for the residence permit for Amsterdam to work with YWAMI. Um, so I just grace with that process because I can take anywhere from like three weeks to like a month. Yeah. So I'm hoping no. it can be until February. <laughs> but I could be there in February. And um, and just, yeah, prayer for more. Like, I still need a bit more support, but I'm kind of going on faith that that'll still be on the guys if it's necessary. Yeah. Awesome. We'll keep you in prayer. Yeah. For sure. Thank you. Yeah. Keep praying for God to really show up there. Yeah. For Ted and Ursula. Yeah. Yeah, Sophia. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, we'll pray. Do we have a name or is that confidential? Yeah. For Vera. Okay, pray for Vera. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, some of you know John and Caress. Caress, you've been coming here. They've been moving to Penticton, I believe. And so uh, they were going to be here for the last Sunday, but they couldn't make it out. So pray for John and Caress. Yeah. Yeah, Doran. for Tanner. We'll lift Tanner up in our prayers, yeah. Shannon? Yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thank God for that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We will celebrate that for sure. You know, thank you, Shannon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like Dean. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Kathy. I'll pray for Dean Crosley and his knee surgery. Yeah. And his driving too. Yeah. Uh, Typical guy, huh? Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some incredibly gracious person brought, uh, brought Marie and I a trip to Mexico. So we're actually leaving tomorrow. And uh, so we're excited about that. Never been. It's actually our, our 20th wedding anniversary in March. And uh, we never went on a honeymoon. And it's my birthday. So we're going to do all three at once. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're coming back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Yeah, and if you're able to pray for one of those things, uh, please pray out.
Father, we pray for Vera. We ask uh, together as your people, God, that you would bring healing upon her body. Uh, God, that whatever is causing her to lose weight and whatever is mysterious about whatever she's going through, God, that um, uh, we ask that you would heal her completely. Um, and God, that you um, might be close to her, that you'd be building her up um, and uh, just blessing her. And God, for Tanner as well, we pray, uh, God, that you would be giving him uh, wisdom and discernment. Uh, God, that you uh, might just break into his life in a new way and and, uh, and remind him deeply, God, that he is loved and there is someone who cares for him. And, and God, uh, there is someone who has a purpose and a plan for his life. And God, I pray that upon uh, Tanner. I pray that upon, God, all our young people, God, that they would be living and breathing, God, in, in your spirit. Uh, Father, we ask, God, for you to teach us. And God, we thank you. You are a God who speaks. Um, and God, I pray you'd help us to listen to whatever you have to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We are uh, starting in on a series on prayer. This week we're going to talk about uh, the power of prayer and just a reminder of how we need to be praying and that prayer changes things. Uh, next week, again, uh, Marie and I are going to be in Mexico, but we have an awesome guest speaker going to be uh, here. And then the following week after that, we're going to continue the prayer series and we're going to be talking uh, probably for two or three weeks on, on unanswered prayer. Now, why aren't some of our prayers answered? And um, so today we're going to talk about prayer, we're going to talk about the power of prayer, and I want to begin with a... Uh, you might have to click on the PowerPoint there, Dave. There we go. Begin in Luke chapter 18. So as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God and when all the people saw it, they also praised God. And so there is this, this blind man. Uh, it's kind of along the road, and there's crowds of people going by. And he finds out Jesus is in the crowd. And he's heard about Jesus. He knows that Jesus uh, heals people. And so he begins to cry out. People tell him to be quiet. He, he cries out all the more. And finally, Jesus' attention is caught, and he comes up, and, and, uh, and the man is healed. Question is, what would have happened if he didn't ask? Uh, what if that blind man just didn't say anything, just kept quiet along the roadside? There's a very good chance that Jesus never would have saw him, would have kept going by in the crowd. There's a very good chance he would have never been healed. Uh, like this blind man, all of us here have needs. Uh, maybe some of your needs are physical needs like this fellow. He, he was blind. Maybe uh, some of you have things going on in your body that, that, that just aren't, it's just not good and you need healing. Some of you may have emotional needs, uh, relational needs, needs in your marriage or with friends. Uh, we all have needs maybe in our workplace. We want people to meet Jesus and, and know how awesome he is and, and we want the gospel to go out and we have needs in this. I mean, we all have needs all around and the same question lies on us. What if we don't ask God? I mean, if this guy didn't ask Jesus, he probably wouldn't have been healed. What if you don't ask? I mean, the Bible is very clear in James. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. This verse does not say that you're going to get it anyways if you don't ask. It says you don't have because you have not asked. It's not, well, you know, God's just going to do it anyways. I don't have to ask or not because God knows my needs. You know, it's just going to be that. No, it actually says you don't have because you don't ask. 
I mean, over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible tells us to be people of prayer. That we are to be saturated in prayer, that we're not to go long through the day without talking to Jesus, that we are to be bringing everything to God in prayer because prayer changes things. I mean, just look at some of these verses. And, and we know that God is a God who uh, doesn't want us to waste our time. I mean, if prayer were a waste of time, we would not see these kind of verses in the scriptures. Uh, Romans 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Ephesians 6, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 1 Timothy 2, I want men everywhere to pray. Philippians 4, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually. If prayer didn't work, if prayer didn't do anything, God wouldn't command this kind of thing. Because God wants us to be uh, effective in our lives. He wants to be wise stewards with our time, with our energy, and our money. I mean, if it just was a waste of time, if it didn't do anything, there's no way he would say things like pray continually. He'd be saying, like, just be busy continually because that's how you get things done. I mean, do, do these verses reflect your life of prayer? I mean, are you someone who is in prayer continually or devoting yourself to prayer that you're just constantly lifting every situation up to Jesus as you go out throughout the day because you have this firm belief that, that prayer really does change things. And if this is not you, uh, then one of the good questions to ask is, is why not? Uh, why don't you pray more? Or why don't I pray more? And sometimes it's good to dig deep because you'll usually find that you have some sort of twisted theology at the bottom of your reasoning that you don't pray more. And it may be a twisted theology, which, you know, I'm really trying to work out of me with all my effort is that I, I often sense that, you know, I could just do more through my own effort than through prayer. I wake up, I'm like, you know, I got lots to do today. I could spend time in prayer. I could be doing it. And, and I just think, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just pray, you know, as I'm driving or something like that. And I have this, this sense, this temptation to think I can do more through my physical hands than I can do through prayer. And we are to do stuff with our physical hands, but we are to pray. And to think that we can do anything without prayer is, is just bad theology. Now, why is it that you don't pray more? There's a, one other reason that I find that a lot of Christians struggle with, and I've struggled with in the past, and, and I'm working through, and that's what I want to talk about today. And that is this. Sometimes we don't pray as much as we should because of this kind of line. God's will is going to be done anyway, so I don't need to pray as much. Or uh, God is going to do what he's going to do, so what is the point? Uh, this idea that, that God's will is just always done in every situation because God is God, He's big, and you know, He just controls everything. God's will is done all the time, so why should I pray? Because if God's will is done in a situation and you pray, you don't want to change what God's will is because God's will is perfect and you want to mess with that. So, or you just say, well, you know, throw up a quick prayer. And I'm in trouble, God, but I'll just leave this in your hands because your will is going to be done anyways. I mean, you just leave everything to God, just like, you know, I don't have to pray. I mean, it's part of the reason you don't pray because you just think that God's will is always done. So why should you pray? This is phrased this way often by some Christians. They will say, prayer doesn't change things, it changes me. Because God's will is always done, prayer can't actually change anything. Because God's will is always done, so you can't change God. You can't change anything because God's will is always done, so prayer just changes me. And it's true. A prayer changes me when I pray. It changes you when you pray. But to believe that prayer does not change things, you would have to have your eyes closed when you read the Bible. But suddenly, whether you actually can verbalize this or not, a lot of Christians do not pray as much because they suddenly think, well, God's will is just going to be done anyways, so I don't really need to pray. Or, I don't have to spend much time in prayer because God's just going to do, He's going to work it out, He's going to finish it, I don't really need to pray as much. And so what I want to do with this message is, first of all, show you that God's will is not always done, and then I want to talk about how uh, God often accomplishes will through our prayers. So let's begin by looking at God's will is not always done. And it's funny that we need to talk about this, but I mean, you basically see this pretty much in every page of the Bible. But here's some verses. Isaiah 30. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. 
forming allegiance, but not by my spirit. I mean, here are people who are carrying out plans that are not God's. God has desires. They're not carrying out God's desires. Obviously, his will is not being done in this situation. Uh, Luke chapter 7. The Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Obviously, God had desires for them. They rejected it. God's will was not done. Uh, Jeremiah 8. Why then have these purple people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit. They refuse to return. God's desire, God's will was for them to return, but they refused. I mean, we could get really basic and just say, God's will is never for you to sin. God's will is not for you to gossip. God's will is never for you to lie or cheat or steal, yet sometimes we do those things. I mean, clearly, God's will is not always done. To end up in the trap of saying God's will is always done, then you'd have to say six million Jews killed by Hitler. That was exactly God's will. And all of a sudden, to end up with like some sort of tyrannical evil God. I mean, clearly, God's will is not always done in situations. Isaiah 63, they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. If God's will was always done, why would it grieve his Holy Spirit if that was his will in the first place? It wouldn't grieve him because that was his will. No, it was not his will. It grieved his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, you stubborn people, you were heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Or Jeremiah, they built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind, God says, that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judas. It didn't even enter his mind. In other words, it was so far from his desire and will that God just says, I didn't even enter my mind. And again, to say that God's will is always done would to say that, yeah, it's actually God's will that those kids were chucked and sacrificed. Really? Can you see Jesus taking kids and throwing them like on a sacrificial fire? That's my will. I mean, clearly God's will is not always done. And every, I mean, it's the reason Jesus came is that clearly God's will is not always done. But this does not mean like the universe is out of control or anything like this. I mean, there is the idea of sovereignty, love, and freedom, which is clearly uh, done in the way, the way God created things. There are certain things they're going to happen, and it doesn't matter what people do. Uh, Jesus coming, dying on the cross, it didn't matter what anybody did, that was going to happen. Jesus coming, return, that's going to happen. It doesn't matter what anybody does, that is going to happen. There are certain things that God has set in place. It doesn't matter whether we desire it or not. I mean, it's going to happen. His will is going to happen. But built into the fabric of creation, there is a ton of freedom, and there are a lot of things that happen to you and to me and on this planet that are not God's will. I mean, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he places this tree, and he gives them a choice. They can eat or not eat. God gives us all a choice in whether we follow him or not, whether we do his will or not. Again, God's will is never for us to gossip, and we have a choice whether we follow that will or reject that will, and yet sometimes we reject his very will. And the reason God gives us this freedom is because God is love. That's what it says in 1 John. God is not 95% love. He is 100% love. It's his very nature. God can never, ever be unloving else he'd cease to be God. And love always has to do with relationship. God is a relational God. God is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's relationship. And so when God created us, he created us to be in relationship with him. And to be true, there to be true relationship and true love, there needs to be freedom. I mean, imagine if a husband and a wife, or the husband controlled every single thought the wife had. I mean, the wife had no will. The husband's will was always, always done. We would call that abuse. That's not true love. That's not a true relationship. God's not some God who controls every single action, every single thought we have. I mean, clearly, clearly throughout scriptures there, people are doing things that God does not want. Because he is a relational God, he gives us freedom whether we follow him or not, whether we obey him or not. And so there's this this freedom that we have. And as part of this freedom, and we see this all throughout the scriptures, again, uh, Matthew 23, here's Jesus, the heart of Jesus, who is God in the flesh. He's crying over the city of Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I mean, this is the desire of God with Jerusalem. His desire was to gather these people, to have them recognize who is, this was his will. He wanted this. Yet it says you are not willing. Again, God wanting something, desiring something, these people rejecting it. God's will is not always done. And as part of this, because God is a relational God and because God has chosen to do things through us, that God chooses to work with and through humanity to accomplish his will. That God just doesn't sit back and just control everything, that he often wants to use you and me to actually accomplish his will. And we see this right from the very beginning of the garden. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and to maintain it. Now, would it be God's will that the garden be taken care of? Well, obviously. But Adam and Eve didn't say, well, I guess God's will is always done, so we don't have to do anything. No. God says, look, you guys have to maintain it. This is before sin even entered the world. God invited them into the process of carrying out his will. They couldn't just sit back and say, God's will is always done, else the garden would have got messy. I mean, they had to join God to uh, help his will of the garden be done. Genesis chapter 1. Male and family, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, obviously, this was God's will for them to be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue, which means to, to, to build things, to be creative with creation. This is God's will. But Adam and Eve could not have sought, sit back and say, you know, I guess God's will is always going to be done. I guess babies are going to happen. It's like, no, actually, you got to do something, right? It's the way it works. Uh, they needed to work. They needed to, 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 to work with God in order for his will to be carried out because often this is how God chooses to work. Now, again, there are certain things that God is going to do, whether we join him or not, but there's a lot of things in life where God is waiting for us to join him because he is a relational God. He is a loving God, and that means he's always inviting us in to what he is doing. Even before the fall, he was inviting Adam and Eve into what he was doing in order to accomplish his will. Here we see in Isaiah chapter 6, the voice of the Lord saying, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I mean, the message needed to go out to people. God saying, who is going to go for us? Isaiah didn't say, well, God, your will is always done, so just do it yourself. I don't have to do anything. I can just sit and watch Netflix all day, you know? No, he send me. God was actually looking for someone to work through in order for his will to be accomplished. And he says, send me. And I hope this is our response. Because I tell you, right now, God is looking for people to join in with what he is doing at this church. He is looking for you to join in for what he is doing in your workplace. He's looking for people to join in in what he is doing in your community because there are people who need to know Jesus and God doesn't sit up there and just do it himself. He's constantly inviting us in to the process and saying, I want my will to be done, but I want to work through people. That's why we're called the hands and feet of Jesus. In fact, when you consider the most important thing on this planet, it's one of the most important things on this planet, is people meeting Jesus. Because when someone meets Jesus, their life is transformed. When someone meets Jesus, all of a sudden, eternity is for them. God is for them, not against them. I mean, I mean, so much is about having people meet Jesus. But you know, even with a task like that, God just didn't leave it in his own hands. I mean, God's will for people meeting Jesus is clear in the Bible. I mean, 2 Timothy, uh, Peter 3, God is not willing that any should perish. Or 1 Timothy chapter 2. God wants all people to be saved. Or Ezekiel 33, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways. Again, this is God's will, but it's not always done. I'd rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God's heart is for people to know him. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, well, I'm just going to do it all by myself. Because God is a relationship with God, he's always reaching down saying, whom shall go for us? Who shall we send? And he's looking for people to say, 
Ah, send me. Send me. I will work with you, God, to accomplish your will. I want to be partners with you in what you are doing. In fact, 2 Corinthians says this. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He's given it to us. Now, why would you do that, God, when it's it's so incredibly important, people meeting Jesus? There's nothing, I mean, eternity hangs on the balance. I mean, why don't you just do it all and we can just sit back because you do it better? I mean, because he's a relational God who is constantly inviting us into the process of carrying out his will. Now, he doesn't never leave us by himself, ourselves. In the Great Commission, God says, I will always be with you. Even in this text, it says this, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. He was working along with us, and, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God has left part of this in our hands. And we can't just sit back and say, well, God's will is always going to be done. You know, don't have to do anything. Clearly, if all the church checked out, hungry people, poor people, needy people would not be helped, even though that's God's will. I mean, there are a lot of things that are God's, that's God's will, but it aren't, isn't being accomplished because we have failed to join in with God. Matthew chapter 6, this one's super clear. This is, this is the, the model prayer. Uh, the disciples saying, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? I want to pray like you. Jesus says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if God's will were always done, this prayer would make no sense. Jesus says that we are actually to pray that his kingdom come and that his will be done. That we're to pray that. If God's will is always done, it doesn't matter what we do or anybody is, if it's just always done, this would just be, just be loony. It doesn't make any sense. But there's something about prayer that God, in partnering with us, as we've been talking, he partners with us in many ways to accomplish his will. There's something about prayer that partners with God in accomplishing his will on this earth. And this is so serious that that short model prayer, which is to shape all of our prayer lives, includes this. That we are to be praying, God, your kingdom come, because there's something about prayer that that brings forth his his, his kingdom. There's something about prayer that brings forth his will into areas of our life. In many ways, you could see it, um, just like the way finances are done in this church. In order for the church to write a check, like if you buy something for the church and you're going to be reimbursed, it actually needs two signatures. So one person signs it, and then you can't cash it until another person signs it. And there are a lot of things in life that God has set up this way. That God has said, this is my will, and he's put the signature on the check. And then he says, who will go for us? Who will stand in the gap? Who will be willing to sign their name on that other blank? And when you pray, you sign their name, and then God's will is accomplished. If you fail to join in with God, if you fail to pray... Sometimes those checks just sit there and they never get cashed. So God is often waiting for our engagement in prayer before he carries out his will. And so we've seen God's will is not always done. So this idea to sit back and say, well, God's will is always done, it's just false. I mean, just read your Bible. It's clearly not done all the time. In order for God's will to be done, he wants to reach out and join us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. If, if poor people are going to be fed, that means that we actually got to do something, even though that's, that's God's will. But often it works through prayer. Again, God has a will for something in your life or in this church or in this community. He signs the check and he's waiting for us to engage with the other signature through prayer. And again, we see this all over the Bible. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7. God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, would it be God's will for God to forgive their sin? Was that God's will? Well, obviously. I mean, Jesus hung on the cross even with enemies and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, obviously God's will is to forgive sin. But something needed to take place. I mean, God had the check written. The blank was there. He filled in his name. But he's waiting for something. 
He's waiting for something. And notice what this text says. If my people do something, then my will will be accomplished. What did they need to do? Humble themselves, pray, there's thy word, and turn from their wicked ways. I mean, God's will is often waiting in this world and in your life. He's waiting for us to join with him in prayer in order for his will to be accomplished. And so if you ever think, well, I don't need to pray much or, you know, God's will is just going to be done, this situation is actually true in some cases. There are some things that God's going to do, whether you pray or not. But there are a lot of cases, and I wouldn't juggle with this, that you need to be praying. How about this one? Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. God says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. So I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Now, would it be God's will to probably not destroy the land? It's probably. I mean, I don't think God delights in destroying land, but he's waiting for something. His will is, I don't want to destroy your land. Got the check signed, but he's waiting for someone to stand in the gap. And a lot of people see this as standing through uh, preaching or through prayer or whatever the means was. But again, God's will for not destroying it was dependent on engaging engagement through prayer. Colossians chapter 4. Paul saying this, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I will proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, would it be God's will that Paul proclaim the message clearly? Yeah, obviously. Uh, would it be God's will that there are open doors for the message of Jesus to go out? Yeah, obviously. Then why did Paul ask for prayer? If God's will is always done. Uh, clearly, he is saying, we need to pray about this. Because we want God's will to be done. We want the message of Jesus to go out. We, we, need, we need to pray about this. Because Paul knew that when we pray, we join with God in, in helping to carry out his will. We look at Isaiah 37. This is the story of, of Hezekiah and the Assyrians. The Assyrians have uh, destroyed most of the cities in Israel, and no one could stop them. And they come to Jerusalem and they taunt Jerusalem. You guys have no hope. You have no chance. You guys are done. So, what does Hezekiah do? He does the right thing. He goes and he prays that God would deliver him because, I mean, obviously, pretty clear it would be God's will that, you know, that his people wouldn't be destroyed, that they would be saved. And because he prayed, Isaiah the prophet comes up and says this. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Shennacherib, king of Israel, and he goes on to say that they would be delivered. Because he prayed. Because he prayed. Now my question again is, what if he didn't pray? Uh, what if you don't pray? I mean, don't just kind of fall on this, you know, I can check out of Christianity because God's will is always done. And there are a lot of people who have no kingdom initiative because they have fallen in this trap. Well, God's will is always done, so I don't really need to do anything. I don't need to pray. I can just say because God's, well, actually, God is calling us to have kingdom initiative to get involved, to work with God because he's got a lot of stuff he wants done. And so because he prayed, God's will of saving uh, Jerusalem actually happened. I mean, the reality is prayer changes things. I mean, do you really believe that? Like, really, really believe that? And you know what? so easy for us to say that. Yeah, I believe that. If I tell, you know how you tell if you really believe that is whether you're praying or not. Because, I mean, I can spout off all kinds of priorities, and you can spout off all kinds of priorities, but you know your priorities by the way you're living your life right now. That's when you know your priorities are. Prayer really changes things. We could go over verse after verse in the Bible and say, man, what if that guy didn't pray? What if you don't pray? Uh, God's will is not always done in your life. There are things that have happened to you and to me and to this church and this community that actually aren't God's will. And some of you need to stop blaming God. You say, well, you know, God, why did you do this? And there are some people who are quite angry at God because they think everything is God's will. They're like, God, why would you do that? Well, actually, maybe he didn't do it. There's a lot of other factors involved, and we're going to continue talking about this as we continue in this message in a couple weeks, talking about unanswered prayer. 
But a couple more things here. Let me just show that prayer really, because we've got to get this. We've got to have an unfailing belief that prayer changes things, that we're not messing around when we pray here on Sunday morning. This is not just fluffy spiritual stuff. This is actually does stuff. When people come forward for prayer, this is, this is the stuff of life. This changes things. Second Kings chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill. This, this is a crazy story. This blew me off my seat. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him. Again, same Isaiah, same Hezekiah, but he got a little funky with Jesus at the end of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Notice, this is what the Lord says. Got that? Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. How would you have like a prophet say that to you? That'd kind of suck, right? Sorry, uh, bad news, you're, you're going to die. Now, he might have said, well, I guess that's God's will. Um, the end of the story, I guess I'm going to die. What does he do? He prays. He actually goes and prays. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. This is not just some sort of half-hearted prayer. This was, this was his, this his heart. Before Isaiah left the middle of court, so he gives the message, God says you're going to die, and he's going, I did my job today, thank you God, and he's walking home, and God says, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Before Isaiah left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. Isn't that strange? Through Isaiah, the Lord says, you are going to die. A message from God. And then he prays, and the story has changed. Prayer changes things. Uh, don't just fall into trouble. Well, I guess God's will is going to be done. I don't have to pray. I don't. Actually, prayer changes. Prayer changes the story. What if he didn't pray? What if you don't pray? Uh, more verses. I, I, Psalm 106. God said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. I mean, these people were being disobedient, and God is going to discipline them to catch their attention, to bring them back. But God never wants to destroy anybody. I mean, but it's interesting. It says, God said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him. This is an explanation of that verse, by the way, in Ezekiel, where God says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy, but I found none. I wonder how many situations is, is God saying, I don't want to have to do this. But there's no one standing in the gap. There's no one interceding. There's no one, there's no one signing the other check. And because I've designed this universe to be a loving universe and a relational universe where I work through people, a lot of the times I'm waiting for someone to stand in the gap and there is none. So I reluctantly have to do this. I mean, what if Moses didn't stand in the gap? What if he couldn't find the... I mean, get, what happens if we don't pray? Uh, Jeremiah 26 uh, did King Hezekiah and the people kill him for saying this? Is Jeremiah came and gives them a, a warning that you're done. You're, God's going to discipline you because you've turned your back. Did King Hezekiah and the people kill him for saying this? No. They turned from their sins and worshiped the Lord. They begged him for mercy. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he pronounced about them. Through Jeremiah, again, God is going to do this to your land. The people pray. And the outcome is different. The story changes. I mean, whatever theologically you figure out how that works, and I mean, different explanations, but you can't get around that prayer changes the story. Prayer changes things. It really does. First Chronicles chapter 4. There's actually a whole book written about this. It was a big, big thing back uh, years ago. Uh, Jabez, cr uh, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me. And enlarge my territory. Let your hands be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And then it says this, and God granted his request. Now what if he didn't pray that? He probably wouldn't have got it. 
I mean, James said, you don't have because you don't ask. I mean, he happened to ask and it fit into God's plan and, and he get, I mean, again, what if you don't pray? Sometimes I wonder, like, man, how radically different could my life be or our church be or our community be? Man, if we just really engage with God as he's, he's sitting there just waiting for someone to stand in, in the gap. A couple more, Matthew 8. A leper approached and bowed low before him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. I mean, it's simple. What if he didn't call out to Jesus? What if he didn't ask Jesus? He, he wouldn't have been healed. I mean, do you know in the gospel story, every single person who came to Jesus was healed? I'm sure there were tons who didn't come to him, lots who didn't ask him, and they weren't. Again, their prayer changes things. God works through prayer. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 21. Uh, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. I mean, if you want to know about one of the most wicked kings, Ahab. And you might be sitting here and saying, you know, I'm such a wicked person. God would never do that for me. God would never answer my prayer. Uh, prayer actually does some pretty cool things. Check this out. When Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and fasted. He even slept in burlap and wept about in deep mourning, obviously calling out to God. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah and said this, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his... I mean, God promised, you're done. He prays and humbles himself, and God says, Okay, I'm not going to do what I promised. Prayer changes it. I mean, don't ever just sit back and say, well, God's will is always going to be done, I guess. We need to be engaging in prayer far more than we actually realize because prayer changes things. I think this is the last one. I thought that was the last one, but how about this one? 2 Chronicles 33. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea so he brought him back to Jerusalem to do his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is king. So last king was Ahab and Manasseh. These were actually the two worst kings in the entire Bible. Sacrificing kids on fire to false gods. God has him removed to a Syrian prison. He is lying there. You know, he's under judgment. But he prays and it says the Lord is moved. And Manasseh actually gets back God sets him free, he's back, and he begins to reign under the power of God. I mean, he was so evil, but prayer and humility changes because God gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. I mean, if you are here with a proud heart, I mean, it's just, just a roadblock between what God is wanting to do in your life. Prayer changes the story. Uh, we'll end it there. It does. Uh, don't mess around with this. I mean, if there is someone who is hurting, who is sick, who pray for them. And again, we're not talking about little, little tiny prayers, you know, throwing up there and all, God, I'll just leave that in your hands. Actually, there's a lot in the Bible about persistent prayer. There's a lot in the Bible about wholehearted, a passion, from, from your heart kind of prayer. But God's desire, man, is for marriages to thrive. His desire is for this church to thrive. His desire is to see tons of people meet Jesus. His desire is, is so bad. I mean, in a lot of these things, God said, I want my will to be done. Would there just be someone to stand in the gap? And I hope that's all of us. Sometimes I just sit back and go, man, what would it be like, man, if every one of us took this seriously? And when Ted and Ursula are hurting, that all of us are just... Man, this week we're going to be praying. We're saying, God, change the story. Or when there's someone who is sick and not doing, we just pray. Or, you know, we need, we need people in this community to meet Jesus that we just take this seriously. We're going to pray that God does something amazing in this community and people meet him and, and find out how amazing. Man, could you just radically how that would change this church? Radically change our marriages? Radically change your workplace? I mean, this is not beyond the realm of impossibility because God works through prayer. I invite Kel up and let's pray as she comes forward. Father, we thank you that you have given us, you have called us, God, into prayer. 
Yeah, it's funny sometimes how you, you put so much on the balance of whether we pray or not, but God, that's how you've shaped this world. And God, I pray that you would ingrain this in us. God, that whatever is keeping us from praying more, that you just spit that out the other end and, and instill your truth in us, that we are to be people who are constantly praying, that we're to be devoted to prayer, that as we're driving to work, we're talking to you, that throughout the day we're talking to you, that we take times where we go into the secret place and, 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 and just be with you and pray. So God, make us a people of prayer. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we close.